um, scripture this morning, in keeping with Bob Morrissey's theme for the first few weeks on service, um, our scripture is from Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. Good morning, CUC. Good to see you. This morning it's my pleasure to introduce one of our own today, uh, David Hills and his wife Norma. They've been married for 56 years. They have three sons, one daughter, and one daughter from Columbia, and eight grandchildren. And I told David earlier today, one of the things he really important, really is fortunate to have, all eight of those grandkids live in this area. Not like Lynn and I, go to Texas every chance to get to Seattle. David and Norma moved to Rockville. 1984. They operate a school, and as a result of that, oftentimes they'll have students from other countries living with them. Their school is to teach English to business professionals and students. Dave has been very active in the church, been on several mission trips, and he, as part of the information symphony, indicated that one of his favorite things to do is Bible study. And I think you will find the subject he has this morning very informative and very interesting. So if you will, welcome David. Before I start, I just wanted to say one thing, and that is that uh, recently Norma and I joined CC. Um, we've just been so impressed with all the with friendship and love and how well this class is organized. It's amazing the communication. We just want to thank you for inviting us. Um, <clears throat> The Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. This is a book that I added to my library many years ago. You can tell it's pretty old because Christ is 395. <laughs> 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 but um, the book was written by a man named Reuben Archer Torrey. And you may not have heard of him, but uh, he lived uh, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And uh, he was at one time uh, the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And then after that, uh, he became an evangelist, traveled the world uh, with another man who was a song leader, and preached all over the world. And uh, this book really is a series sermon that he wrote about the Holy Spirit. Yes. So, this, this book is a series of sermons that he wrote about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the reason I, I bought the book, I guess I bought it, I can't really remember. Maybe I borrowed it and never returned it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the reason I was interested in this book is because it seemed like in the teaching of the church, there's not really much teaching about the Holy Spirit. We, we learn a lot about God and we hear a lot about Jesus, but it seemed like very little about the Holy Spirit. And uh, yet there's so much in the scripture about the Holy Spirit. And so that was why I bought this book. And I kind of pull it out about every five or six years and read it. Now, the book is a little bit hard to get these days, but uh, a contemporary Christian writer, Barry David, he took this book and rewrote it. And uh, this is a copy of it. It's called The Holy Spirit, Who He Is, What He Does, and Why You Should Care. And uh, there's a group of us here at the church that meet Friday morning in the park. And this is the book that we're studying right now. And it's very interesting. Yeah, uh, this is R.A. Torrey and Barry Davis. And you can get it on Amazon. Okay, uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, who is he? Well, Tori in his book says that there are two major ideas that Christians have about the Holy Spirit. And one of them 
is that he is an impersonal force that moves around and does uh, unpredictable things. The, the other opinion is that he is a person. And uh, we kind of heard that from a theology that God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So uh, it's important, really, to go to Scripture and see what we can learn about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I need to say that this is such a good subject that I'm only going to be able to touch the tip of the iceberg here this morning. <clears throat> but uh, Torah defines a person in his book as someone that has knowledge, that has a will, and has feelings or emotions, but not necessarily a body. Now, we're okay with that because we know that God and does not have a body. God is spirit. So, let's uh, first look to think that the Holy Spirit has knowledge. And uh, I'm going to refer to quite a few Bible verses, so uh, if you want to just jot them down, check them out later, uh, I think there's some really incredible verses we're going to look at. And the first one regarding knowledge is found in 1 Corinthians 2.11, where it says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him? So men know about men. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So this tells us that the Holy Spirit knows what God knows. He has knowledge. And the second thing is that the Holy Spirit has a will. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, we, we see a list of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And at the end of those, that list of spiritual gifts, we read, All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. Now, this is really an incredible thing. To think that the Holy Spirit knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows what kind of gift to give us for our future ministry. That's pretty incredible. And then the Holy Spirit has feelings and emotions. If we look at Romans 15.30, Paul wrote, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, notice that love of to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Now, as Christians, we, we hear a lot about God's love, and we should. You know, we thank God for creating us, blessing us, and we thank Him for sending Jesus to pay the death penalty for us. And we oftentimes thank Jesus for being faithful to that uh, commission, that ministry, and coming and teaching about God, and then going to the cross for us. But how many times have we thanked the Holy Spirit for His work? How many times have we thanked Him for chasing us? while we kicked and screamed and pushed to avoid it. And how many times <clears throat> we grieved him, but he never gave up. He just kept pursuing us. Until finally we said, I understand. Or we said, I surrender. <laughs> so we need to thank the Holy Spirit for that because his love is just as great as the love of God and the love of Christ for us. <clears throat> also in Ephesians, uh, regarding uh, emotions and feelings, uh, we read, where Paul is telling us how we should live as Christians. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom we're sealed in the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit can be grieved. So he is a person with these attributes, knowledge, will, feelings, and emotions. Now, does it really make a difference in our faith if we think of the Holy Spirit as personal force out for someone, or we think of him as part of the Trinity and living within us? 
Corey says that if we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, our conclusion will be, how can I get this force, and how can I use it to benefit me? Whereas, if you think of the Holy Spirit as a person, as the Bible teaches that he is, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get more of me and use me to this? Okay, so we look briefly at who the Holy Spirit is. Now, what I'd like to look at next is what he does, and in some cases, what he has done. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, is the author of the Bible. If we go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, we read, we read this written by Peter. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but, but, men's, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that means that the Bible was really, that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, but without hands, he used inspired men to write Scripture. So he is the author of the Bible. Then the Holy Spirit was uh, present at creation. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. Now, I tried to picture in my mind what that would look like. I couldn't, you know. But, you know, someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God if I can rent video creation. <laughs> and when I do, I'm going to invite you guys over. <laughs> and we'll have a creation video party. Also, too, we, we see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit inspired uh, some of the famous uh, men of the Bible and also the prophets. That, of course, we remember that Jesus, when uh, before he left, promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And so at Pentecost, uh, this promise came true. And remember the story of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was there and people were proclaiming the gospel in languages they didn't know, but they were being heard by people that spoke that language. And, and then they thought, uh, the people thought that uh, they'd been drinking. And Peter speaks to the crowd to uh, tell them, no, that this isn't drinking. And he explains what happened. But in that speech, he also accuses them of murdering deity. And what happened? The Holy Spirit was there, and he took Peter's words and did a miraculous thing on the hearts of those people that were hearing. And you know the rest of the story. Church began. A few thousand were converted. Now, did you ever think, what would have happened if Peter gave that speech and the Holy Spirit hadn't been there? I think probably they would have put him on the cross, just like they did Jesus. <clears throat> now, we also learn in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is our counselor. And I read in John 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will send another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, for he lives with and will be in you. So what does a, a counselor do? You know, if we hire someone to be a counselor for us, we have a need. And we hire someone that knows what to do. And that person, counselor, can guide us, they can comfort us when we need it, uh, they can be our friend, and also correct us when we do things wrong. So we have that Holy Spirit in us for that purpose. <laughs> and did you know that the Holy Spirit prays for you? We read in Romans 8.26 that he does. And we also read in 1 John 2.1 that Jesus prays for us as well. So what this means is that if you or I are on a mission trip to Kenya or Guatemala or wherever we go, or we're driving Georgia 400, or we're pushing a cart down the aisles of Kroger, God, or that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for So remember that next time you're on Georgia 400. <laughs> and another thing the Holy Spirit does, he teaches. Now, um, did you ever take a class in university 
and the professor that you had wrote the book. Maybe you have, maybe you have. But when we're studying the Scripture, it's exactly our environment. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And when we're studying the Scripture and asking Him for understanding, He is there. And He is, who would be more qualified to teach us than He? So we have a tremendous opportunity here. Now, have you ever <clears throat> been reading the Scripture and some verse seems to jump off the page? Well, maybe you think, gosh, I've read this before, but it never... I believe that's the Holy Spirit teaching, saying to you, this verse, you need to focus, you need to remember, because then from later. I remember the last time this happened to me was when I was reading Psalm 145. You might want to look it up sometime, but it just jumped out. At me. And I'd read it many times before, but it impressed me so much that I almost memorized Not quite, not quite. But memorizing scripture is just a beautiful way that God can bring back to your mind. The Holy Spirit Spirit can bring it back to your mind. Scripture that you've read, and sometimes it'll come to you at a time when you need it. And I'm also reminded of scripture sometimes on my digital clock. I look at it, and it says, well, I'd rather that was in the afternoon than in the morning. (laughs) But sometimes God wakes you up just to remind you of things like that. Okay, so... Um, we looked at the Holy Spirit, who He is, and what He. There's one other thing I'd like to, I'd like to look, and that is regarding the power of the Holy Spirit. Another book. This book is called The Flaming Tongue, and it's a story about spiritual awakening in the 20th century. It was written by J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr spent his life touring countries and documenting and doing research on awakening that it had. And he wrote three books. He wrote one regarding um, sure dates, right? uh, awakenings that were in 1850 to 1900, and then another one that was older, awakenings that happened, and this is worldwide, 1790 to 1840. Well, this book here deals with the 20th century. And around the beginning of the 20th century, around 1904 and 5, there was a feeling worldwide that something spiritual was about to happen. And people began to meet together in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to come. And the reason they were meeting was because they wanted their society changed. And so it was happened, these meetings were happening all over the world. And, and J. Edwin Orr had discovered that it actually began in Wales in about 1905. 1905. And I would like to just read just a few words about what says that. This is after it came to Wales. Archdeacon Wilberforce in Westminster Abbey declared that the revival had accomplished more in Wales in two months than all the temperance laws knew. Many were the evidence of the Spirit of God working in Wales. Long-standing debts were stolen good through, and restitution was made. Stocks of Welsh and English Bibles were sold out. Prayer meetings were held in coal mines, trains, trams, and in places of business. The work managers bore testimony of the change of conduct of their employees. Police rejoiced in the revival. They had nothing to do. They met in the stations and had Bible study and prayer. Can you imagine something like that in Russell? And then the cursing and profanity was so diminished that several slowdowns were reported in the coal mine. For so many of the men gave up using foul language that the pit ponies dragging coal trucks to mine tunnels did not understand what was being said to them. <laughs> and they stood still confused. <laughs> so they had to retrain them. So things like that, you know, the culture was really changed. <clears throat> Okay, 
then in the United States about that time, uh, the Holy Spirit was also making his presence known. Uh, many people in Pennsylvania uh, were from Wales, and so they would hear from their relatives about what was going on in the homeland. And so it started to break out in the U.S., and I'd like to read just one short paragraph about that. Late in 1904, the Atlanta newspaper reported that nearly a thousand businessmen had united for intercession for an outpouring of the Spirit. On 2nd December, um, stores, factories, and offices closed in the middle of the day of prayer. The Supreme Court of Georgia adjourned. Even saloons and places of amusement closed their doors to enable patrons to attend the united prayer meetings, turning the weekday into a veritable Sabbath. It was here in Atlanta. <coughs> Now, around that time, in the early 1900s, the Holy Spirit also came with an awakening to Asbury Seminary. And probably some of you are a little bit familiar with Asbury, Rumor, Kentucky. <clears throat> and Asbury Seminary has really been a place where many awakenings have occurred. Between the years of 1905 and 2006, about 100 years, there have been 12 awakenings, I'm sorry, 8 awakenings um, in uh, at Esther. But interestingly enough, they all occurred in either February or March. I don't know why. But the one in 1905, we've been speaking of, there were some men at Wilmore, some students praying in one of the rooms. And they said that it was just like the Holy Spirit came into the room and went out into the community. And one of the men from that class group was a man named E. Stanley Jones, who was a famous Methodist missionary. Well, there was also an awakening in 1970. And I was watching a video on YouTube of Dennis Kinlaw, who was president of Asbury at that time. He was describing what happened. He was out of town, actually, when it, when it started. And he had a man who was his assistant who he said could handle anything that came up on the campus. So he was totally confident when he was away that things were under control. So he was in Canada, and he got a phone call. And his friend says, Dr. Kinlaw, something happened. I, I can't control it. It's out of control. So he came back. And when he got back, he went and sat in the back of the chapel seals. He said there was a line of students going up to the microphone, confessing their sins. And the uh, chapel was full of students praising God. And he tells a story of one little girl who called home. And she talked to her father. She said, Daddy, I just found Jesus. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, your mom and I are in the Salvation Army, and you've worked with all the years growing up. She says, yes, Daddy. You don't understand. I was doing that for you. Now I'll be doing it. Well, <coughs> What, what is it, what's required for the awakening? I'd like to read this. This will be familiar to you. It comes out of the Old Testament, out of Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm reading starting in verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him and at night said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifice. And he said, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my, among my people, because he knew of their discipline. Then he continues, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will give heaven and will forgive sins of the land. It's a formula takes for an awakening. Now, I'm about ready to close, and I'd like to do something. I'd like you to close your eyes. Now, if the person next to you starts to snore, to nudge you. But what I'd like to have you do is just jump ahead to the year 2090. In 2090, some man or woman, perhaps not yet born, is doing the research and writing about awakening in the 21st century. 
Could it be that that person would write in Roswell, Georgia, at RUMC, a group of people met and started to pray in God? Following the Second Chronicles, chapter 7, 20, when the Holy Spirit came, and he changed Roswell, and he changed, he changed Georgia, U.S., and the world. Is that possible? It is possible because who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So it is possible, and it can happen. So... Let's uh, just do one more thing. We've talked about the Holy Spirit this morning, and this is very basic. I'm sure it was a review for a lot of you, but maybe there was some room for this. So I'd like to take just a moment for you to talk to them. Maybe there's something you want to tell them. Maybe there's something you want to ask them. Could we take about 15 seconds to do that? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one is bothered to do. Go ahead. 